And we are in this series called Indestructible Joy. And today, the title of the message is Joy in the Midst of Suffering. Joy in the Midst of Suffering, as you find your way, hopefully, to Philippians 1. Uh, anybody in here suffered a little bit? Yep, let's just go ahead. All of us, we're all in good company, and not just a little bit. Maybe that's why you didn't raise your hand, because maybe you were waiting for me to say, have you suffered a lot of it, right? And um, I don't know about you, it, it didn't take me very long on this earth uh, to figure out that there was suffering uh, through, you know, I experienced loss at a young age, um, and, and my best friend died when I was 14, and I was there, and, and it was traumatic. I, I lost several grandparents. Um, all within a, just a matter of years. In addition to that, dealing with the other things that I've experienced in my life, it didn't take me very long, and I imagine it hasn't taken you very long to experience the suffering that is in this broken and fallen world. We all face what you know uh, the writers uh, and poets call the dark night of the soul. Amen. And um, and it's a difficult thing when you experience suffering and hardship in such great ways. I mean, even even this week as I was preparing. This message, uh, our family faced a major crisis in addition to the things that are already going going on. I'm like, Lord, really? Uh, I mean, I wanted to preach this message. I didn't really want to live this message. You know, you know how that goes sometimes. And it's like, Lord, really? I don't want to be squeezed like I'm being squeezed this week. And uh, many of you know, uh, in addition to uh, uh, what else we have going on, uh, my, my dad recently diagnosed with cancer and battling that. And, uh, and the ups and downs of that. And many of you have been praying for him, sending him cards. And, and he is grateful and overwhelmed and so appreciative. In fact, uh, my mom always wants me to say, make sure you tell the church thank you. In fact, she texted me the other week, uh, you know, thank, tell the church thank you for the cards. And I, I, I didn't reply to her because I didn't think it needed a reply. How, you know, forgive me. Uh, I just thought, yes, I will do that. I mean, I got it. Check, mom. I'll do that. And, you know, she was like, you're not going to reply. And I'm, I'm, yes, of course I will do that. So anyhow, but, you know, and then even this week, um, one of our church members, Brother Joe Littles, uh, many of you may have known him or met him, went home to be with the Lord suddenly. And his family has been walking through grief. And, and he was a staple here in our church. Uh, one of our uh, probably most famous ushers and greeters, and certainly um, the, the the pastor's favorite amen corner, uh, because no one could say amen like Joe. And so I, I hope that all of you will pick up the slack uh, for Joe's amens. And so there we go. One of you decided to pick up the slack. He was also a uh, a Marine and one of the, that's right, one of the few Marines that we had here. And those guys like to stick together against the Navy guys. But, um, but, you know, as we even talk about those little stories and share about his life, it's been hard. Uh, it's been hard on his family. It's been hard on us who have loved him so deeply. And, um, and so as we talk about joy in the midst of suffering, I don't mean putting on a fake plastic smile and be like, oh, praise the Lord. I'm just filled with joy, even though all around me things are falling apart. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about denying the suffering. We're not talking about you know, going la, 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 which is typically my response. We're not talking about, you know, just glossing over the great pain. But we're also talking about having something deeper that resides in us, that joy can still be there because it's indestructible. It's untouchable. It's not cheap. It's not plastic joy. It's deep and abiding joy. I heard this story about a young man from up north. Uh, I believe he was from New York, and he was driving across country and drove through Texas. 
while he was driving through Texas, he got into a car accident. He got into a car accident with a big truck carrying a trailer, and what was in that trailer was a horse. And uh, it was a terrible accident. I mean, just crazy and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so, you know, you know how it goes. Months and weeks later, he was on the phone with the insurance. Praise God for insurance. You got to love them. And, um, and, and there was a discrepancy in his claim because they were saying, listen, sir, you've been to this doctor, you've been to that doctor, and they said, you're asking for all this money. Uh, but yet at the scene, uh, you said you were fine. You said there were no problems. And, uh, and, and the young New Yorker said, listen, no, 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 no. I, trust me, I am hurting. Uh, if you would have seen this accident, you would know. And, and the insurance is like, I'm sorry, there's a discrepancy in this claim. The, the, the police report says you reported yourself as fine and got up and walked away with no injuries. And he says, no, listen, 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 I'm from New York. That accident was in Texas. Let me tell you what happened. I got into this accident. I got ejected from my car and I'm laying in the middle of the street in pain and agony. And I see this state trooper uh, walking over to the other car where it's twisted and mangled, all this sort of stuff. And I see him talking about this horse that was in the trailer. And I hear the owner of the horse in the trailer say, uh, yeah, the horse suffered a broken leg. And the, straight, the state trooper pulls out his gun and shoots the horse. And then he turns and he looks at me and he says, son, are you all right? And I got right up out of the road and said, I'm doing just fine. And he said, I don't know how you do in Texas, but we don't do that in New York. And so I didn't want to get shot. I didn't know what was going on. And so, listen, sometimes because of the situation, we say, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's all good. And that's not necessarily a healthy position to be. And I heard the other story that was kind of silly uh, about a newspaper reporter who was working to get some stories. And, uh, and they were on the scene of the story where a car was parked on a hill and, um, and whatever happened, it got left out of, you know, uh, park, the, the brake failed, and it rolled down the hill and then into someone's house. And um, I know some of you are experiencing that very real here today. Um, and as we pray for one of our sisters who's had an accident like that this week. And uh, but but so he calls his boss, the editor of the newspaper, and he says, hey, boss, I got this story. I got to tell you about it. And he says there was this car on the hill. It rolled down and 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 smashed into this house. And his boss goes, you are such a novice reporter. That is not a big story. That is not a huge deal. What is the big deal about a car rolling down the hill and crashing into somebody's house? Listen, I need bigger stories than this. I need something major to happen. So you're not, you don't think this is a worthy story? You don't think this is an important thing? No, it's not important. That's tiny. Okay. Those people will be just fine. And he goes, whew, I'm so glad you're taking that so well because it was your house that got crashed. And, um, and so you know how it goes. We, we tend to, you know, kind of disassociate ourselves. And so we talk about joy in the midst of suffering. We're not talking about a denial of pain. We're not talking about pretending and putting on a smile uh, just to fake it until you can make it. No, we're talking about something that uh, goes deeper. And in the midst of great pain, in the midst of great suffering, we can still have the joy of the Lord. Amen. So you could write this down. Point number one. Uh, that we need to remember to have joy in the midst of suffering is that we need to expect suffering and not deny it, right? We, we need to expect suffering and not deny it. Many in the Christian world, many preachers on TV, many books have been written about, listen, just believe in Jesus and, and listen, everything will get better. You'll always be healthy. Your marriage will always be great. Your kids will always be well-behaved and their hair will be combed 
and they won't have BO. They won't ever have any issues. You know, just believe in Jesus and you'll you'll never be discouraged. You'll never be depressed. Uh, Listen, your finances will improve. You will never go through a financial difficulty if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. And if you do experience the difficulties because you don't have enough faith. Many people have been weighed down with that sort of extra guilt upon the guilt of the, the weight of their depression or discouragement, the weight of their financial hardship or the weight of a divorce or the weight of the loss of a child. Or we could go on and on and on with an illness and saying, God, I am praying. I'm praying night and day and there is still no healing. I am begging my spouse to come back and, and they, they want nothing to do with me. I'm praying for my child who is wayward and there is just, they're not even remotely interested in turning to the Lord. And sometimes when we kind of give these pat answers or we listen to TV preachers who do a disservice to the gospel. Paul reminds us in this chapter that we are to expect suffering. In fact, I'm just going to be honest enough to tell you, listen, as a Christian, things may not get better. The opposite may happen. I'm honest enough to tell you, things may get worse on this earth when you become a believer or you continue to press into the Lord. Things may get worse temporarily. Eternally speaking, oh no, things will get magnificently better. But temporarily speaking, on this earth, things may get worse. You read the Bible. Not everybody got healed and they prayed. Okay? Not not every, you know, we we love the stories of of the uh, the women who who, you know, um, were barren and they got pregnant. But thousands of women stayed barren. You know, we love the story of, of the children of, of Israel crossing the Red Sea, but you also have to remember they, they went through 40 years in the desert. And then there was a whole generation that didn't even make it into the promised land. We also forget about the, the years and years and years they were in slavery and the generations that came and generations that went while they were still in slavery. And they prayed just as much as the other generations. And so God has a way of working his plan and we are to expect suffering. We're going to kind of look at a different order of the text here. But if you look at the last couple of verses, that Brother Jason read, uh, verses 29 and 30, uh, we'll navigate here. And Paul makes it very clear that, listen, things may indeed get worse. In fact, the reason they may get worse is this. When you become a Christian, you have a target on your back. Amen. See, when, when you're walking in the ways of Satan, when you're walking in the world, Satan is just fine to leave you alone. But all of a sudden you start making an impact on the kingdom. You start getting serious about your faith. You start reading and digging into the Bible seriously. You start walking in holiness uh, and start, you know, navigating your marriage or your singleness. You start walking in holiness in your job. And all of a sudden the kingdom of darkness is after you. you. You've become a target. And I just want you to know sometimes things get worse, beloved, because you're a target. Because you are bringing light and Satan is scrapping and scratching to keep you and me from shining the light of the gospel wherever we may be. And so, listen, we have to be aware of this. Notice what he says in verse 29. He says this. For it has been granted. It has been granted to you or given to you as a gift. Right. That's that's the idea here. The Paul's doing it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also what? Suffer for him. It's been granted to you. It's been given to you. He tells us plain as day. This is this is an expectation. You can expect suffering. It's been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer. That doesn't go well in the watered down gospel of today. Amen. 
right? That's not going to sell a whole lot of books always. You can't live your best life now when we say things like, you, you, it's been granted to you that you will also suffer for Jesus. But that is the truth of the gospel. Jesus told us that frequently in the gospel of John chapter 16. Well, actually, we didn't get to the next verse, right? I was trying to go too far, right? But to suffer for him, right? Uh, verse 30, right? We're suffering for his sake. Then verse 30, he says, engaged, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had. And so while Paul was at Philippi, he suffered while he was there. So he was saying, hey guys, remember that? Remember that suffering we went through? You guys are new believers. I was there in town preaching. We started the church and there was something they were being persecuted and attacked. Remember that? I got put in jail there too. And he says, now, and he says that you saw I had, and that you hear that I what? I still have. I still have it. I'm still going through suffering. I'm still in jail as I'm writing this. And so he's saying, things don't always get better on this earth. They will get infinitely better in eternity. But on this earth may not end the way you and I want it to end. But God is no less faithful. God is no less worthy to be worshipped because God is still working out his plan. In fact, Jesus told us in the Gospel of John, right? Chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you. I've said these things to you that in me, in me, not in your circumstances, right? Not in your health, not in your financial situation, not in your singleness or marital status, not in your mood, but in me, you may have what? Peace. You may have peace. Then he just tells them point blank, right? In this world, you will have what? Tribulation. You will have trouble in this world. You, will, you can expect it. But then he says this, take heart. Take heart or be of good courage. Continue to be courageous. You know that there's going to be a battle against you, but still be just as courageous. Don't hide from it. Because he says this, I have what? Overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And you will overcome the world. Does that overcoming mean you'll get healed from cancer? I don't know. But you'll get healed one side of eternity or another. Our brother Joe, while we miss him greatly, he was completely healed. He overcame the world. The world didn't overcome him. He overcame the world. He has been set free from sin. In fact, um, Jesus would also say, and it won't be on the screen, but Jesus would also say things like this. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my follower, you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross. I don't know about you, but taking up a cross is not a pretty or easy thing. And deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and then follow me. So Jesus is, is very real with us to say, listen, following me in this world is, is this. The world is at war. The world is a battlefield. And this is why you experience the suffering and the heartache. But when you join my team, yeah, we're going to see people get shot. We're going to see people. We're going to lose people in this world. But we have already overcome. We already have the victory. And so we need to expect suffering. And don't deny it or pretend like it doesn't exist. The brother of Jesus, James, would write in his epistle, James chapter 1, verse 2, he would say this, Consider it pure what? Consider it pure joy. James connects joy and suffering. Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't know about you. It's, it's not my initial reaction when I face trials, right? It takes some work to get there. But that's why we need the reminders of Scripture to course correct our thoughts. All right. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. And he tells us why. Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance, or let perseverance, finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete. 
not lacking anything. Amen. God is maturing us through this process of of squeezing us, of refining us, and that is making us mature and complete. I heard the story about uh, a man who had lost his job and he was walking through the streets where he lived and he was so discouraged, but he saw this big construction site going on at a church and, and he saw this stone worker, you know, sort of, um, I don't know what the right word, he's not carving the stone, Dan would know, he's, he's, you know, doing something with the stone, you know, shape it and all that sort of stuff and grinding and, um, and he's doing that and, and this guy says, hey, what's that piece of stone for? And the, the stonemason says, you see that big steeple up there? He goes, yeah. He says, I'm, I'm shaping it down here so that it can fit up there. I'm going to say that again. I'm shaping it down here so that it can fit up there. God is fitting us for heaven, and God is shaping us down here. And sometimes he puts that grinder on us, and it doesn't feel great. But listen, we can have joy in the midst of knowing that, that this is producing in us something greater, something deeper. I heard the, uh, the other story about a guy who uh, was actually the janitor at a church in London. Uh, I believe it was St. Peter's Church in London, England. And there was a new priest there, and the new priest was uh, excited to go about his duties, but he found out that the janitor was illiterate and couldn't read. And he was very upset by this. And he says, listen, you need to be able to read, man. You can't fulfill your duties and do all this sort of stuff. You are fired. So he fired the janitor because he was illiterate and couldn't read. And so the janitor didn't have a whole lot of money, uh, but he had a small piece of land and he took what money he had and he invested in tobacco. And this was uh, hundreds of years ago. And so that tobacco grew and, um, and he became very profitable so that he could open up a little you know, shop with his horse and cart. Pretty soon after that, he was able to have a tobacco store, which turned into many tobacco stores. And he became extremely wealthy. And he was sitting with his banker one day and, um, and the banker said, sir, man, you have done so well. You have done amazingly well for someone who can't read or write. Imagine, imagine where you'd be if you could read or write. And the janitor simply replied, I would be the janitor at St. Peter's Church. See, God sometimes takes us through things that we have no clue about. God is refining us and God is strengthening us. And so we are to expect suffering and not deny it, right? You don't have to go around smiling, pretending like everything is okay. But you know that God is working something greater. And listen, even when you struggle to believe that, because I've struggled to believe that, sometimes I'm like, Lord, I'm not so sure. This is where I can't see how this, and Lord, if this is working something good in me, I don't, I'm not so sure I want it. <laughs> it's not worth the pain. And then we're like that man who spoke to Jesus about his daughter, and, and uh, he said, Lord, I believe. But then he said this, Lord, help my unbelief. Sometimes you're going to struggle even to believe the truth. And that's okay. And you just say like that man in the scripture, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so number one is we need to expect suffering, not deny it. Number two is we need to cling to the truth. Cling to the truth. Cling to the truth. The truth is found right here, folks. In the word of God, this is the only place where we have ultimate truth, ultimate authority. As I hear many people talk about truth these days, and uh, we need to cling to the truth and to the word of God. Because what happens is, I don't know if this has happened to you, but when you face pain, when I face pain, it causes us to hyper-focus. Have you noticed that? Right? When you face pain, you get a pain in your toe or in your foot, and you are hyper-focused on that area, right? And that can be both good 
and it can be bad if you stay there for too long. It can be good because some of us are too hard-headed to go get treated for anything. And pain is what pushes us past that threshold to go get ourselves checked out. Can I get a man from the wives? I'm trying to help the men. And, um, you know, sometimes we're just too hard-headed. And so the pain causes us to hyper-focus. But if we hyper-focus for too long and stay focused in there, we'll, we'll become consumed with that one area. And, um, and so sometimes people try to help us not get consumed with that. I used to have a basketball coach who sometimes you had to be careful how you complained about him uh, or complained around him is, is what I mean. And uh, because if you were like after a long day of practice, like, oh, man, my thigh hurts, coach. Man, we just, we just did too much, too many squats, too many suicides. Oh, man. He would be next to you and would go like this and punch you in the shoulder. And you'd be like, oh, coach. He goes, your thigh still hurt? And, um, and, and, and it was this process. I don't advocate that, by the way. Uh, I see some of you looking at me, um, right? And uh, I don't advocate that. But, but what he's, he's saying was he, was he was helping you not hyper-focus on that problem, but now focus on a new problem. And, uh, and again, I'm not saying he was right. But, but it's this idea that our attention, our attention shifts. And sometimes we can get swallowed up in the pain. And that would be Satan's goal. If you think about the life of Job, he wanted Job to just be so hyper-focused on his pain and curse God. But see, what we need is as Christians, we're not denying pain. We're putting all the cards on the table. We're looking at all of the facts. You see, because when you're just when you just have one piece of the puzzle, you're just looking at that one piece. You don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. And yes, that one piece is hurtful. And there's no denying that. But you also have to be able to back up and see the whole picture. Amen. And so as Christians, we need to see all of the picture. Right. We need to see all of the facts. We want all those facts to be on the table. And so this is what Paul does. He says, look, I want us to look and, 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 and keep in mind the truth. Even though we're going through this, there is still truth. God is still real. God is still true. He hasn't forsaken us. And so he, he says things like this. Look at verse 19. Right. This is the verse that we started with. Verse 19. He says this. I know for I know for I what? For I know that through your prayers, he needs the help of the church. Amen. Just like you and I need the help of the church. We need a community around us. Right. Through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit, folks. This, this, the pain, the suffering will turn out for my what? Deliverance or salvation. This is almost the exact phrase that he used just a few verses ago that we looked at uh, a couple weeks ago where he would say this is, is, you know, man, I'm just navigating and what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's saying, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. But wait a second. He's in jail. Paul, what do you mean? How is that, how is going to jail turning out for your deliverance? Paul, that's Paul. I think you hit your head, man. Paul, I think they beat you too much. You're probably dehydrated. You can't say uh, going to jail is turning out for my deliverance. Going to jail is really making me more free. Oh, but how it truly is on the inside. Amen. How many of you know that sometimes we need to be freed from our greed? We need to be freed from our ego and our pride. We need to be freed from our selfishness. We need to be freed from our way, from our discontentment. We need to be freed from our addictions. And it is the trials and the chiseling that begin to free us from those things, from our sin nature. And I don't know about you, but man, my, my pride takes a hit, you know. And it's like, whoo, I thought, I thought I was a big shot there for the law. The Lord just helped humble me. God is freeing us from that. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful. And, and, and listen, sometimes, you know, sometimes you've taken people um, for granted in your lives. Amen. We, we can take spouses for granted. We take children for granted. We can take neighbors and family members for granted. And then something happens that, that you almost lose them. And you're like, whoa, man, I, I really need to hug a little longer. 
I need to hold on a little tighter. You know, I, I, I need to be thankful. You know, I got so busy focused on this. And I, I just lost sight of that. See, what happens is pain causes us to hyper focus. But we got to make sure we look at the whole picture. So he says that in verse 19. Then look at verse 21, what Paul says. He goes on and he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Game for me to live is Christ and to die as gain. That's hard, right? For me to live is Christ. That's hard. That's suffering. That's difficult. It stinks. But the truth is, man, if I'm living, I'm living for Christ's glory. And I know that Christ will be glorified in my body. And that's what he says in the, in the verse before that. But he's saying, listen, and if I die, it's gain. Paul is really a sense that it's a win-win situation for me. If I'm here and I'm struggling, I'm suffering, that's okay. Because I know God will be glorified in my suffering. Or if I die, I know that it will be even better. And so he says, I can't lose as a Christian because I've already been given the victory. And so he says, it's a win-win for me. That's the whole picture. Yes, there's pain. That's a piece of the picture. But the whole picture is, listen, I win no matter what as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 25, he goes on to say this. He says, convinced, convinced of this, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with all of you. So he's saying, listen, you know, at first I wasn't sure, but now I know that I'm going to stay on earth for a little while. And, and I will remain with each of you and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. He's saying, listen, I, I know that my staying here, a piece of this puzzle is, yes, a piece of me staying here. I'm going to be in jail. This is going to be hard. But I know that it will have a fruit in the Philippians life. I know that, that I'm still around and God is going to use me for their joy in the faith. And can I just remind all of you and feel free to remind your loved ones, especially those who who get into those senior years where you feel like I don't have anything to offer. And and some people just say to me, I'm just kind of waiting on the Lord to take me home. You know, uh, we were talking about that this morning uh, with our our deacons and our elders as we were praying before the service and just talking about how some folks get to that age where like nothing else really for me to do. I'm just waiting on the Lord to take me home. I'm just here to remind you, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And so God is still using you. And just like Paul, Paul is like, man, I, you know, people can be like, Paul's taken out of the game. He's in jail. He can't help the church anymore. But man, his example is helping the church. Watching someone suffer with joy is an example that my sermons can never touch. I could preach a sermon on suffering in the midst of joy. But when you watch a saint suffer and you see their attitude and you see them have joy through the tears, you're like, man, I remember that. I remembered, I remembered Sally. I remembered, you know, uh, Billy. I remember them when they were going through that. And, and, and how they, they wept and they were heartbroken, but they just continued. I want to be like them. Boy, that'll, that'll preach five million sermons. Amen. And so your example for somebody else, as you navigate your suffering, God will use that. And then verse 28, he reminds them this, right? This is, again, we're, we're backing up and seeing the whole picture, reminding ourselves of true. Verse 28, he says, and do not be frightened. Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents, right? They were, they were facing in their town persecution. He says, don't be frightened by any of your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. In other words, man, God has saved you. Don't be frightened. The truth is you have eternity. You have eternal salvation when it comes to believers through God. And so listen, you got you to remember, I know it feels like the weight is heavy, but you got to back up and see the whole picture. And so number two is we have to cling to the truth. I want to share with you this quote from Malcolm Muggeridge. He's a brilliant writer, and I'm not even going to claim to have read all of his books, but 
Uh, I listened to a lot of Ravi Zacharias, who also passed away, uh, but he loves to quote Malcolm Muggeridge, and so I kind of borrow from a lot of his quotes. But Malcolm Muggeridge said this, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful. And how does he look back on them? With a particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction, not through happiness. Oh, how we need to remember the truth and the bigger picture that God is at work. Listen, that he has a plan, that his ways are higher than my ways. And we submit and surrender that and say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I, I know you're good. In the midst of my suffering, God, I'm clinging to you. So that's number two. Number three is this. We need to make sure we let our walk do our talking. Amen. We need to let our walk do our talking. We are people who claim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We are people who say, Jesus is my Lord. He is my treasure. I love him above all else. Take away all the earthly things. Uh, Jesus is better than it all. Uh, your love, O oh Lord, is what the psalmist says. Your love, O oh Lord, is better than life. And, and those are things we say. But when we suffer, God gives us the opportunity to preach that with our actions. Amen. Look at verses 20 and 21. And again, we looked at verse 21. But notice how Paul again uh, says at verse 20, he says this, as it is my eager expectation and hope, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but I will have full courage now as always, right? Back up just one uh, slide there, Brother Mike. Notice this. Uh, do, you, do you sense Paul's humanness here too? He's saying, man, this is my eager expectation and hope, right? I, I don't have it all together. I'm hoping that I won't be ashamed, right? I'm hoping that I'm going to continue to persevere through all of this. And I know that God will give me that grace, but I'm just being honest with y'all. That, that's my eager expectation and hope that, that I would no way be ashamed. And then he goes on, right, to the next verse, the next part of that verse there. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He's saying, God, I want you to be glorified whether I die and you take me home or whether I stay here and, and I suffer. God, I want you to be glorified. And so my, and my walk match my preaching. That's what he's asking for there. That's what he's reminding them of. And then he goes on to say the verse. And again, if you haven't memorized this verse, may I encourage you to memorize it. Verse 21, right? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have nothing to lose either way. For me to live is Christ. I will represent Christ and I will gain more of Christ. And to die, I will gain the same thing. There was uh, one of the early Christian historians and... Um, his name was Eusebius, and he was kind of one of the first uh, to compile much of Christian history in the early 300s. He was threatened by one of the emperors at that time, as many of the emperors. And in case you ever get discouraged about the political atmosphere in America, just read history, right? And, 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 and look at how Christians have had to survive dictators and evil emperors. And I mean, it has been horrific. And so uh, that helps for perspective, I, I find in my own life. But listen... He was threatened by the Emperor Valens, and, uh, and, and he said he was threatened to have his uh, property uh, taken, confiscation of all his goods, threatened with debt, death. And so Eusebius um, replied back with this. 
Um, when the emperor Valens threatened, you see this with confiscation of all of his goods, he said, he needs not fear confiscation or the stealing of his stuff, right? He needs not fear confiscation who has nothing to lose. He needs not fear banishment to whom heaven is his country, nor torments when his body can be destroyed at one blow, nor death, which is the only way to set him at liberty from sin and sorrow. Boy, isn't that something? He's like, emperor, if you kill me, you're going to set me free. <laughs> you know, for me to live as Christ. Uh, Eusebius was, was echoing Paul's statement here, and to die is gain. I heard another story about an old saint who, who was bedridden, but she was a joyful saint, and her church knew of her just as a joyful saint, no matter what she was going through, but she was bedridden for so long. So some of the ladies from church came to visit her. And um, uh, one of the ladies, though, was new to church, and she was extremely wealthy. And, uh, and so she was new and kind of uh, checking things out. She went with another church member. And they went to this house, and, and uh, the lady lived on, on the attic floor of um, just sort of a nasty old apartment building. And there was no elevator, and so they had to walk up these flights of steps. And so they get to the first flight of steps, and the very wealthy lady who had never been there before says, Ooh, oh, my, this place is disgusting. Like, I, I can't believe this lady lives in this place. And the lady who had been there before says, don't worry, honey, it's better higher up. So they get to the next landing and they go up another flight of stairs on the next landing. She's like, oh, man, this I thought you said it was better higher up. It's worse up here on the fourth floor. This place is disgusting. I mean, look at this thing is rat stuff. There is dirty and this. Oh, I can't believe this. And she says, listen, don't worry, honey, it's better higher up. And she says, all right, well, maybe it's better higher up. And, uh, and finally, they get to the, the fifth floor, this attic apartment, you know, and it's kind of got that, you know, weird shape there, not a flat roof, but, you know, the sides are kind of, you know, curved, and uh, and they see this bedridden saint of God, and she, she still is radiating, even though she's in pain, she's radiating the joy of Christ. And the wealthy woman, again, who has never been here, she's like, well, this place is still kind of nasty. It's dusty. It's kind of, I mean, I see some little flowers over there on the windowsill, but this place really ain't nothing to brag about. I mean, this is still kind of nasty here too. And and, uh, and finally, she just couldn't help herself. And she blurts out, look, I'm sorry you have to live in a place like this. And that bedridden saint of God just looked at her without missing a beat and repeated the same phrase that the other lady repeated. Don't worry, honey, because it's better higher up. She wasn't talking about a higher up floor. She wasn't talking about a higher up level of financial uh, peace or a better uh, higher up of uh, wealth or health. She was talking about it's better higher up in heaven and our eternal home. Amen. And so we're just needing to remind ourselves of the truth of these matters. And we're needing to let our walk through our talking through humble faith, through simple words. And then finally is this. Don't suffer alone. Don't suffer alone. As you see, Paul is writing to this church. This church was helping Paul. Uh, in fact, I think I mentioned this before. The book of Philippians is a thank you note. That's really what it is. We have preserved for us a first century thank you note that the Lord has ordained in the scriptures. So he's, right, he's saying thank you for supporting me. Paul, as you know, was a tent maker. He supported himself through most of his journeys and, uh, and didn't ask for support. But the Philippians wanted to support him. And then they sent um, uh, a man to him. Epaphroditus uh, to help him while he was in prison. And uh, so uh, he's telling them, thank you. Uh, and as you see, even as he mentioned in the first verse, verse 19, he says, listen, your prayers are going to help me get through this. But then look at verse 27, uh, what he says to them in verse 27. He goes on, and he says, 
Only let your manner uh, of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. By the way, uh, that phrase there, your manner of life, really refers to citizenship. He's going to say that in chapter 3, that our citizenship is from heaven, a healthy reminder in the midst of our political age, right? But, but our citizenship says, make sure that you preach, right? In the same way we say, let your walk do your talking. Make sure you're, you're reminding people that you are a citizen of the eternal place, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, so whether I come to you and I see you or I'm absent, that I may hear that you are standing firm. Notice what he says here. Standing, standing firm in one spirit, right? He's saying that to the church. Church, continue to stand firm in one spirit, in one mind. Striving how? Side by side for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the faith of the gospel, right? Man, we are striving side by side. And, and listen, don't, don't suffer alone, but make sure you have people side by side with you that are helping you walk this way. Because listen, and listen, the temptation exists in my heart too. Uh, when I'm in pain, I just want to peel away from everybody, right? I just want to pull away. That's, that's, my, that's my tendency. I, I, I'm struggling. I don't want anybody to know. It's easier for me to hide, right? That's Satan's ploy, Amen. We need community around us. We need people. We need side by side. And listen, even in this age of technology and physical distancing and, 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 and a pandemic, all that sort of stuff, there, there are some people, let's be honest, uh, their health means they don't need to be physically side by side. But they need to know by a phone call, uh, by, by a, a wave out the window that, listen, uh, listen, we're still side by side with you. I can't see you like I regularly see you, but I'm still side by side. We still, we're still contending for the faith. One spirit, one mind. We're in this together. And, and that reminder. And so that's the beauty of being part of the body of Christ. Amen. And so whether, listen, and we're not just part of this local body. We're part of the entire body of Christ all across the globe. Not just in our current age, but listen, for all time. Where Paul at one point is talking about encouraging them to run the race, right? He's saying, man, run your race. Continue to run as, as one running for the prize. But he says, because there's a whole cloud of witnesses, all the saints from all time. And I don't know if this is how it works in heaven or not. This is simply my opinion. You know, the Bible says there's simply a cloud of witnesses. I don't know what that means. Okay. Um, but I just imagine it like, man, the crowds of heaven cheering for us. We still got to run our race, right? We're still here running it. It's tiring. It's weary. It's wearing us down. But those who have made it before us, I imagine them for all the centuries, right? In, in, in the throne room of heaven, in the stands of heaven, saying, go Miss Pat, go Miss Val, go Bill, go Dan, go Scott. Like, man, you got it. Keep going. Go John. Go Jonathan. Right? Let, let's go. And they're cheering for us and reminding us to continue to pursue and run our race. And they say, look, hey, I finished my race. It was hard, but you're going to get through it. Amen. And so we, we keep that imagery with us and we make sure we still have people side by side with us in community. Amen. And so as we think about suffering in the midst, as we think about joy in the midst of suffering, you know what we're really and the person we're ultimately looking to is Jesus Christ. Amen. The one who suffered perfectly, the one who suffered greatly, the one who suffered way more than you or I could ever imagine. If you're not here today and don't understand the gospel, or you've, you've been here a hundred times and don't understand the great amount of suffering that Jesus went through, not just the crown of thorns, not, not just um, you know the whipping, uh, not just the nails, not just the mockery and the, and the beard plucking and the, and the spit and the, and the mockery, not just that, but Jesus Christ took the full wrath of God 
the full wrath of God for all the sins of all humanity, for every boy, every girl, every person on the planet, all the wicked and evil they had ever done was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus didn't bat an eye. Jesus endured the suffering. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews says this, watch this, says for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross with joy. What was his joy that was set before him? Well, I'm looking at the joy that was set before Jesus. It brought Jesus joy, so much joy to endure the cross, to know that he would have you, sir or ma'am, back in a relationship with him. That's how much value God has placed on your life. That's how much God thought about you. If you were the only person on the planet, Jesus still would have endured all of that for you. He'd have been like, nope, that model was bad. We'll just make a whole new model. That's not what he said. No, Jesus came to us in the person of Christ. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So for the joy set before us, we can endure the suffering for the glory of God. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, can I just remind you again of how deeply he loves you? And can I plead with you? as if he were pleading with you to turn your life over to him, to turn from your sins. Because trust me, if you think suffering on this earth is hard, I talk to so many people and uh, friends and neighbors and family members, and they talk about uh, the, the wretchedness that, that, that this place is really like feeling like they are in a place of, of hell. And, and, and they are like, man, I can't make it anymore. Listen, if this place... <laughs> If, if they think this place is bad and, and they've got to have a few drinks, you know, as I talked with a, a few folks just last week who, who just had to have several drinks because of what was going on. And um, listen, you think that's bad? The wrath of God and eternity in hell is going to be infinitely worse. And, and, and all of the suffering on this earth won't mean anything. It will have zero purpose. The suffering on this earth is meant to, to point us back to Christ. And it has a greater purpose that God will use. And so, sir or ma'am, if you don't know Christ, again, not through religion, but through a personal relationship with him, could I ask you to surrender your life to him? Turn from your sins. He'll accept you. He'll receive you. And so let's pray together. I want to give you an opportunity to pray as our worship team comes forward to prepare to lead us. I want to speak to the person who, who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't have that personal relationship with him. And again, you know who you are. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. He brought you here. On purpose today, not by accident, to remind you that the suffering of this world, it is hard. But there is a God who loves you. There is a God who suffered for you. In fact, he took away the greatest suffering, the wrath of God that was due justly for our sins, for our wickedness that we have committed against God. We have all stolen. We have all lied. We have cheated. We have cursed God. We have not loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have worshipped other gods. We have worshipped idols of children. We have worshipped idols of nation. We have worshipped idols of job. We have worshipped idols of pleasure. We have not given God what he is due. That's all of us. That's me. And so Christ is calling out to you today, sir, ma'am. And if you know he's been speaking to you, it's your time. Today is the day of salvation. Would you give your life to him? All you have to do is cry out to him. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. We, we say it here week after week. You may have heard it a hundred times, but hear it fresh today. And if you know that's you, I just want to invite you to repeat these words after me in the quietness of your heart. They're not magic words, but the Lord knows your heart. And you may want to say something like this in the quietness of your heart. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. 
God, I know I've sinned against you. God, I know I've sinned against you. God, I'm sorry for my sins. God, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you rose from the dead. Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I surrender to you. I want you to lead my life. I want you to lead my life. And I give up all control. I give up all control. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for all of us. Christian. Father, would you grant us grace to suffer well? Oh God, how we need you. How I need you. And I know that I wouldn't be standing here today if it wouldn't apart from your grace at work in my life, God. I've been reminded this week, day in and day out, that it's when, when I am weak that you are strong. God, that your grace is sufficient for me in all of my weakness. And like Paul, Lord, I don't really like saying this, but God, I can boast of my weaknesses because then it's when Christ and his power is magnified in me, God. I pray for my brothers and sisters, fellow believers, God, going through difficult times, going through suffering now or in the future or suffering that has happened in the past. God, that your grace, that the supply of your Holy Spirit, God, would infuse them with joy, not a plastic joy, not a fake smile joy, but a joy that is abiding and indestructible, given to them only by God. They couldn't say the preacher gave me joy. They couldn't say my spouse gave me joy. They couldn't say my paycheck gave me joy. They would say Jesus Christ and him alone is my treasure, and that is my joy and my crown, Father. But Lord, we can't do that apart from your grace. You've got to do the work in us, Lord. Pray for all of us, God, for that work to happen according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. We're going to move into this time of response, love to have you respond to God. That means standing and singing. That means quietly praying. If you would like to come here and pray, you're welcome to do that. But when we sing, it's an opportunity for us to declare the truth, right? I said before, remind yourself of that truth. When we sing, that's what we do, right? We're preaching to ourselves when we sing. It's not just la, la, la words, because that's what we do in church, saying no. When you sing, you're preaching to yourself. You're telling your heart the truth. So let's stand together. And let's declare the fact that we have more than 10,000 reasons. Amen. Mm-hmm.